Beloved in the Lord, we gather under the Lord of hosts as those who are acutely aware of the war within, a war spoken of with vivid clarity by the Apostle Paul in Galatians. Our hearts are the battleground where the flesh, with its sinful appetites, wars relentlessly against the Spirit of God which indwells us. This internal strife is not a mere confrontation, but a conflict as old as the fall of man, manifesting in every human endeavor and thought, stretching from the east of Eden to the entire world. Yet the call of the Scriptures is a vibrant hope in the discord of this strife, heralding the great truth that within us dwells a power far exceeding our own, the presence of the Holy Spirit. It is He who labors to cultivate the barren fields of our souls, transforming thorns and thistles into an abundant harvest of spiritual fruit. This juxtaposition of our weakness and His strength must frame our understanding of the journey of sanctification we are called to embark upon. As we peel back the false confidence of our own sufficiency, we are confronted with Paul's words, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Here lies the paradox of our journey. By renouncing control, we gain true freedom. By dying to self, we find life. And in acknowledging our helplessness, we are met with His all-sufficient grace. As we pivot from the sins and struggles of our temporal lives, let us turn attentively to the eternal wisdom contained within the Word of God. Paul offers profound guidance for our spiritual journey, revealing the path to triumph over our base nature through the power of the indwelling Spirit. And Galatians 5.16, 24 reads as follows, But I say, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the desire of the flesh is against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who have belonged to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. As we earnestly look into the depths of Paul's message to the Galatians, we are signaled to go beyond the mere acknowledgement of spiritual warfare. Paul's words guide us to embrace the transformative power of the Spirit, preparing us to grasp the profound implications for our daily walk with Christ. Thus, the big idea for this passage is, walking by the Spirit transcends the flesh's desires, leading to a victorious Christian life that shows the Spirit's transformative fruit, as we are continuously empowered by our union with Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let us fortify ourselves with this pivotal truth. Those who walk by the Spirit will not gratify the tug and pull of the flesh's yearnings. It is the Spirit Himself who provides the means to escape the snare of carnal appetites as a result of that, releasing us from the bondage that seizes so many. As we lie in the insight provided by Paul, we must thoroughly grasp that this victory is not a consequence of human resolve, but rather it is bestowed upon us by the magnificent hand of our sovereign God. Picture, if you will, an ancient vessel on the open sea, attacked by storms and intimidating waves. The sailors, overwhelmed by the storm, 
would find themselves woefully incapable of bringing the ship to the safety of the harbor. However, an expert captain, skilled and steadfast, takes the wheel. It is he who navigates the waters with a masterful understanding of the winds and the tides. Similarly, the Holy Spirit is our divine captain, steering us through the thunderous waves of our fleshly desires with precision and infallible wisdom. It is the Spirit who organizes each step we take, moving us, guiding us, prompting us. Without His guiding hand, we are vessels that drift astray, unable to conquer the currents of our fallen nature. It is written, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The walk Paul speaks of is not a transient stride, it is a perpetual march, a continuous advance in the Spirit's rhythm, till the day we die or get raptured. The flesh pulls towards sin with its ceaseless desires, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, but the Spirit directs us away from the reefs that would wreck our souls. You may ask, how then shall we translate this metaphor to our daily lives? The application is twofold, a surrender of the self to Christ Jesus and a persistent seeking of communion with the Holy Spirit. It demands of us a holy determination to lay aside our tendencies, to crush the pride that goes against God's rule over our lives. Are we willing to relinquish control, to yield to the divine power that can break away our natural propensities and desires? This is the essence of walking by the Spirit. Let us be vigilant, ensuring that when the flesh calls with its cunning whisperings, we turn our ears to the Spirit's grand symphony. May our prayers ascend like incense for discernment, to recognize the flesh's evil schemes. It entails a continuous self-examination. Are our actions bearing witness to the Spirit's leading, or are they tainted by the flesh's corruption? In our church gatherings, in our private rooms, in the workplace, we must align ourselves with the whole counsel of God. Foster the disciplines of the faith, prayer, meditation, the study of the Word of God, thus fortifying the Spirit's dominion in our lives. Be ever attentive to that still, small voice of the Spirit of God that prompts us and convicts us, and swift to dismiss the screaming of sinful passions that tempts us and manipulates us. Beloved, when we face decisions, great or small, let us ask, does this choice manifest the fruit of the Spirit or succumb to the flesh's siren song? There is no neutral ground. Every decision pushes us towards one realm or the other. Let us therefore resolve via God's grace and mercy to follow the Spirit's prompting asking Him to transform our will, our mind, and our heart, so that it mirrors His own. The Christian life, a life of walking by the Spirit, is one of progress and not perfection. Stumbling does not pronounce failure, for our gracious and merciful Captain is long-suffering and rich in grace and mercy. In those moments of human frailty, look to the cross, where the greatest victory was secured. There lies the power to rise again and to press onward, knowing that our very fall can be carved into a step that further ascends the heights of sanctification. Our ship may sway adrift for a moment, but let us cling to the assurance that victory is surely inscribed upon the banners of heaven. Thus, we must pledge again and again to live by the Spirit continually, to mortify the flesh continually, and to adore Christ in our hearts as Lord continually. My charge to you is this, embrace this victory and your sanctification will be manifest to the world, drawing many to the light of His glorious gospel. Moreover, the believer's life is to be one that vividly displays the fruit of the Spirit. These fruits are much more than ethical philosophy. They are the very essence and evidence of divine workmanship within us, the excellency and magnificence of Christ-likeness imbued into our very character. This point stands determined. 
Those who are led by the Spirit carry with them the fruit of the Spirit. Consider the stark differences between the wilderness and the cultivated garden. The wilderness might have its own rough beauty, but it is marked by chaos and savage life. In contrast, the garden, tendered and nurtured, shows an undoubted symmetry and beauty. In a similar manner, the human soul, outside of Christ, resonates with the spiritual wilderness. It's naturally chaotic, entangled with the wild shrubbery of sinful tendencies. But when the soul comes under the care of the divine gardener, when it's watered by the word of God and pruned by divine providence, it yields a beauty not naturally its own. It produces fruit, intentional, orderly, and aromatic. Paul highlights qualities such as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are not random spiritual blooms. They are the reliable product of a life led by the Spirit. Our charge, then, as pilgrims progressing in sanctification, is multifaceted. We are called to a constant self-examination, ensuring that these virtues increase and bear weight in our lives. It is not enough that these fruits elegantly decorate our branches. They must be substantive, providing nourishment and shade to those around us. Furthermore, we must embrace community accountability, humbly submitting ourselves to the supervision and exhortation of fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. This mutual encouragement and sometimes gentle admonition is essential for a community seeking to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. We are members of the singular body of Christ. Therefore, the spiritual health of one is the concern of all. When one stumbles, another is there to remind, to restore and to recover, a beautiful symphony of Spirit-led reciprocity. In addition, the practice of these virtues is not confined to the realms of comfort and convenience. Genuine love is tested in the face of trial and tribulation. Genuine joy endures even through sorrows. Genuine peace stands firm in the midst of turmoil. Genuine patience is proven when provoked. Genuine kindness radiates in cold and harsh environments, and genuine self-control is most notable in the presence of temptation. The mark of true believers is not seen in mere tranquility, but in the midst of the storms of life, flowing the Spirit's power and grace. Further, these fruits must be sought and pursued with diligence through fervent prayers that ask God for help again and again, not with a sense of fatalistic passivity that presumes upon the grace of God. While it is the Spirit who works in us, both to will and to work for His good pleasure, we are called to fight the good fight of faith, which includes the cultivation of these fruits. Paul's exhortation to keep in step with the Spirit implies an active participation in the tempos of the Spirit's leading. Besides, it's critical to remember that these virtues are not simply for individual piety, but carry a communal dimension. The collective display of the fruit of the Spirit is the testimony of the Church to the fallen world. It manifests the transformative power of the Gospel in relational dynamics, societal engagement, and cultural discourse. By this fruit, the world shall know that we are His disciples. Additionally, in our embrace of the fruit of the Spirit, we must not mistake this for a mere moral transformation likened to the world's standards of self-improvement. The spiritual fruit transcends human categorizations of morality. It is intrinsically linked to the character of God and reveals the divine nature. Thus, as Peter declares, we become partakers in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Also, these fruits become the seeds of righteousness sown into the lives of others. The love of Christ through us can break down walls of enmity. The joy of Christ through us can be an ointment to the brokenhearted. 
The peace of Christ through us can pacify agitated souls. The patience of Christ through us can foster growth in others. Kindness of Christ through us can transform relationships. The goodness of Christ through us can overcome evil. The faithfulness of Christ through us can inspire loyalty. The gentleness of Christ through us can disarm conflict. And the self-control of Christ through us can model restraint in an indulgent world. Therefore, to live by the Spirit and to carry the fruit of the Spirit is to engage in this world as ambassadors of the heavenly kingdom. So let us cultivate these virtues by the Spirit, for the glory of God and the good of all, according to the will of God. These are the good works which God prepared before the foundation of the world, that we should walk in them, a walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The final pillar rests firmly upon a profound spiritual reality which Paul accentuates with utmost clarity. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This vivid language not only calls to mind the historical crucifixion of our Savior, but also extends its shadow over the nature that once held us captive, the realm of the flesh. It is a bold declaration that, in belonging to Christ, there is a decisive and definitive renunciation and execution of the sinful nature. Paul does not merely speak poetically. His use of have crucified uses the perfect tense, indicating an action completed in the past with ongoing effects in the present. The Christian life begins with an event, the believer's co-crucifixion with Christ, and continues as an enduring state of being. The cross upon which the Son of God was nailed becomes, in a sense, the very instrument by which we too put to death our fleshly inclinations. Let us consider the crucifixion itself, an act that was public, painful, and terminal. There can be no softening of these words, for they carry the weight of a spiritual truth that demands our wholehearted response. The cross was not a golden symbol worn for decoration. It was a wooden stake meant for excruciating execution. Moreover, the public nature of crucifixion illustrates the visibility of our commitment to Christ. Just as Jesus was crucified in the open, outside the gates of Jerusalem, so too must our renunciation of the flesh be evident for all to see. Our lives, transformed by the Spirit's work within us, serve as living sacrifices, known and seen by all men. Furthermore, crucifixion was painful. There is an agony in the mortification of the flesh that mirrors the ordeals of our Lord. The desires of the flesh do not die without a struggle, without sorrow. They are as wood and nails, piercing the very hands that would cling to sin. We too must feel the pain of saying no to what once defined us and yes to the higher call in Christ. In addition, crucifixion was terminal. The old self, with its corrupt desires, is not merely suspended, it is put to death. There must be no misconception here. Crucifixion leaves no room for revival of its victim. In the same steadfast manner, the desires of the flesh must not be revived, but left to wither in the shadow of Calvary. We cannot flirt with former sins, for to do so would be to attempt to revive what has been judicially condemned. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do not be deceived. This crucifixion of the flesh is not achieved by human willpower or moral reformation. It is a divine work enacted by our union with Christ. It cannot be brought to fruition through the external adherence to laws or regulations. It sprouts from the inward grace that the indwelling Spirit bestows. Additionally, while the decisive victory is won at the moment of salvation, the daily implications of this reality stretch across the span of the Christian life. The mortification of the flesh is a continual process, a daily bearing of the cross. Yet it is not an unapproachable journey we take on, 
for with each faltering step forward, we find the grace and mercy of God sufficient, His strength perfected in our weakness. Our response to this truth must be as wholehearted as the action it describes. If the flesh has been crucified, so too must our deeds be mortified unless they are vivified by the Spirit. And if the Spirit has indeed wrought this good work in us, shall we not then walk as those resurrected in the newness of life? Should our desires not soar beyond the base lusts which once chained us to the short-lived impulses of this world? In essence, let us note that while the crucifixion language is sharp, it is expressed within a context of hope and promise. For the crucifixion of the flesh liberates us to walk in step with the Spirit, to show the fruits of righteousness that are impossible in our fallen state. This crucifying of the flesh is but one side of a wondrous coin. On the reverse, we find the royal image of Christ, the one who awakens us, leads us into the abundant life that is found only in Him. Thus, let our assurance be unwavering and our resolve unyielding. We belong to Christ, and that ownership breeds not shackles, but release from bondage to the very passions that threaten to consume us. The flesh with its desires has been, is, and will continue to be crucified as we live by the Spirit, clinging to the same tree that once bore the Redeemer of mankind. May our lives be a testament to the sanctifying work of God, as we proclaim with Paul, that it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives within us. In light of these magnificent truths, let us now pivot towards their active embrace. It's time we connect these teachings within ourselves, committing to the daily pilgrimage of Spirit-led living, which transforms our lives from the inside out and bears witness to the power of Christ in us. As we stand on the cliff of understanding, we grasp the revelation with both hands. The victory over the flesh is not won through our own might or willpower, but through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. What Paul explains to the Galatians is not a matter of the intellect alone, but the marrow of our very lives as followers of Christ. We must hold fast to the conviction that the Spirit within us is greater than the flesh externally. As members of the body of Christ, we are called to exemplify a community bathed in the light of the Spirit's fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These attributes should permeate every action and reaction, every thought and deed. Internally, the call is daily and deeply personal. Each morning as the sun breaks the horizon, let our old nature be crucified anew and let the Spirit's renewing breeze stir within us. In prayer and dependence, let us walk step in step with the Spirit, letting His divine counsel guide our path away from the siren songs of the flesh. Beloved, let this truth not merely tickle your ears, but penetrate to the core of your heart. To be in Christ is to be a new creation, old things passed away. Behold, newness springing forth. It is to embrace a life that declares the triumph of the Spirit over the flesh, with the evidence of divine fruit ripening within us. In the private room of your life where no eye sees and no ear hears, respond to this calling. Realign your heart daily to the reality of the Spirit's abode within you. Live this truth, and in living, be a beacon that beckons the world to the hope and transformative power we have in Jesus Christ.